So the objectives, um, we're going to kind of define uh, sustainability, look at some of its um, factors and how on earth it relates to missions. And the topic was so enormous that um, and I felt <laughs> I was actually assigned this topic. And at first I was like, what? what do I have to say about sustainability and missions? And um, I think a lot of us think initially enormous in terms of facilities and all. And I thought when I looked, when I imagined myself looking out at you all, um, I thought there, there are different contexts. So I'd rather kind of break it down into three different contexts and look at sustainability with short-term mission um, endeavors and then mission projects, activities, and then facilities. Uh, just, oh, thank you. Recording. Yes, we're recording, but I'm not saying anything. Just stick in your pocket or cut behind your belt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do I need the other one as well? Probably. Thank you. Okay, my apologies. I didn't put my microphone on. There's a light. Ah, okay. Woohoo. Very good. Okay. So we're talking about sustainability and missions, and I just wanted to introduce myself a bit. Uh, this is my family, and wow, 21 years ago, we moved to Kenya, Africa, and uh, we lived uh, 16 years among the Maasai people in southwestern Kenya. Uh, we lived for seven years in the bush. We learned the Maasai language. We lived there. Um, I was on a team primarily of church evangelists and um, uh, church planters and evangelists uh, in terms of what the missionaries did uh, with the, the Maasai people. But I was the only doctor on the team. And so um, and my husband's a, a pastor. So uh, kind of putting those two ministries together, but since I was the only doctor on the team, then our family was delegated to manage the medical ministries, and that was overseeing um, dispensaries in remote village location. We started out with three, um, and we're up to eight at this point. And um, one of the major stories, I've got three stories I'd like to tell, and one of them is what has happened to the clinic system. And, and at this point, they are running... They're, they're self-sustained. There's no missionary presence there, um, and they see about 100 to 130,000 patients a year. And, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, so just with that little bit of introduction, um, so I have a lot of experience in Africa, and then I've also done over the years, um, I'm connected with some other fields in terms of short-term trips and some um, ministry activities. But my talk is primarily going to come from my experience. That's what I know. And some of you, I know, have a lot of experience in other places. And so we can learn from each other. And I do want this session to be interactive. And there are going to be times when I'm going to throw out questions. And um, we're in table groups here, which is fantastic. So we can talk with one another and then come up with some ideas together. And I'm a little more tethered than I thought it was going to be. But um, So I'd like to just start out with the first question. What is sustainability? Um, when I was telling some friends that I was talking today on sustainability and missions, one person said, so what does that mean? And the other person said, how do you spell that? Um, <laughs> I think as medical doctors, we're more attuned to susceptibility than sustainability, but it, it is very relevant. Um, but just take 30 seconds to a minute amongst your group and just kind of brainstorm. Uh, when you think of sustainability and missions, what is that? Okay. Go.
I really appreciate everybody's uh, engagement in this. I see, I hear a lot of chatter, and that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to pull you back in now, and I'd like to hear from you all. What are some of the terms or what are some of the ideas that your groups have come up with in terms of defining what is sustainability? Let's come up with some things. Independent. Independent, okay. What else? I heard some talking with some other groups. Long lasting. Long lasting, okay. Yeah. Being able to stay when it's hard. Sounds like perseverance. Okay, I'm not a good speller here. I'm going to show that. Ownership. Ownership. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Anything else? Culturally relevant. Culturally relevant. Ooh, you guys are good. Okay. I think you're both hitting some definitions and also some how to make it happen or what are the key ways that it's going to be successful. Um, I would propose that sustainability in missions is long-term impact. Uh, I kind of focus on this long-lasting. Um, kind of imagine going to the beach, and one of the most favorite activities that I have going to a beach is building a sandcastle. But what happens after the next high tide? It washes away, yeah. Um, well, how many of us um, build a house? You know, I actually am a first-time homeowner. Um, I'm in my 50s, and I'm just now buying a house. It's kind of a frightening experience. Um, but how many of us build a house expecting that at the next big rain it's going to wash away? Well, no, that's kind of ludicrous. We, we expect to build a house and live in it for a long time. We expect it to last. Um, so... You know, going and building something, but expecting it to either fail at the beginning or to last at the beginning. And kind of the take-home message, I'm going to jump to the end. The take-home message I'd like for you to have is think of the end result before you start. Before you jump into something, envision what the end result is going to be and aim for that. It's kind of a simple, simple thought. Maybe it's intuitive. But so many of us, I think, uh, we jump into projects or jump into things that sound really good, and we haven't really thought through what's the long-term impact that I want to have. Um, let's think about missions. How many of us, uh, we, would you go on a, sh- a two-week short-term mission trip planning that everything that you tell about Jesus is going to be forgotten two weeks after you leave? Um, would you go to a village in Panama and treat all the children for worms, knowing that, well, in six months they're all going to have worms again? Do you want to go and serve on a mission hospital for a month, knowing that, well, everybody that you treat is just going to be back in six months six, sick again? Sounds kind of discouraging. Or do you want to go to a remote jungle village and set up a clinic and work for a couple of years, knowing that when you leave it's going to close up? Well, those are kind of discouraging scenarios. What are we going to do with the converts after we leave? So the the question is with sustainability and missions is what's the long-term impact that we're aiming for and what do we want to last after we leave? It used to be that 100 years ago missionaries would pack all of their belongings in a casket expecting to die on the field. Well, that's not necessarily the way it goes now. Uh, long term has been redefined as more like five years. Um, when I started in missions, it was more of a 10 to 20 years, and that's what I was aiming for, and I would encourage you to reconsider that too. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of people who do missions now do it in two-week or a month or six months or one-year spans and then come back. Um, and so the, the long, long term uh, of being there forever is, is not necessarily the case. And the fact is, even if you go to the mission field and plan, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, you are going to die. 
guaranteed. We're, we're not going to be there forever. And so do we want everything that we've invested in to just fold up when we're gone? What's going to remain after the missionaries leave? That's kind of the question. Okay. Like I said, this is an enormous, enormous topic. And for a long time, sustainability in missions was the, that topic meant sustainability of large mission hospitals. And there's been a lot of talk on can they sustain themselves, can they continue on, and how can we do that. Um, but a lot of you may not be there yet. You're, you're not on the field serving years and years with a huge mission hospital. And maybe many of you are still at, um, you know, you're in a different context. So let's put this into your context. Uh, a lot of you have gone on short-term mission trips. And I'd like for us to take a few minutes to think amongst ourselves, what are the factors that will allow a short-term mission trip to have lasting impact? Let me tell some stories. Let me just throw out some stories, and then we're going to have some discussion amongst ourselves. Um, I'd like to tell you a story about Kauai. Uh, it's an area in Maasai land, um, up above the Maasai Mara. It's very close to the Tanzania border, um, so that means there's a lot of unrest and um, a lot of cattle raiding. Uh, the Maasai believe that God created the Maasai first and then everybody else and then all the cows. So when they go across the border to take cows from other people, they're just reclaiming what was their own to begin with. So a lot of civil unrest in this area. And the church has, uh, in the past has struggled a great deal. Well, there's a particular church here that wanted to branch out and they, they really wanted to reach out to their neighbors and other communities and evangelize and start churches. And they just kept having closed doors, closed doors. But then measles broke out. And a lot of, a lot of children, even adults, got sick and died. And then the community leaders started coming to the church asking for medical help, asking for a clinic. They wanted a full-fledged clinic. And uh, the church was connected with our mission agency. And... Um, they knew we were doing clinics in other areas, and uh, they asked us to come build a clinic. Well, there were a lot of reasons we couldn't do that, but what we said is we can bring a vaccine clinic. And this is where we actually used short-term teams, and we had groups that came in. Uh, basically, um, there were three different trips, three different times, because we were following the immunization schedule of Kenya and the World Health Organization. And so we came en masse and set up a vaccine clinic basically in the, in the schoolyard or under a tree and vaccinated 600 kids, the whole community, and then came back two months later and did the second round. And then two months after that, came again and did the other round. So within about six to eight months, we had finished the whole cycle of immunizations and um, it, it was dramatic in terms of uh, the impact that it had on the community. So we just kind of came in, gave our shots, and left. Uh, but what happened is that it opened the door. And the folks were so grateful. And um, they, they were very proud that their children were now fully immunized. They had, they had fulfilled the requirements of the government. Um, they were excited for that health for their children, and it created great rapport. And the church leaders then were able to go in, uh, into homes and uh, in groups, and start talking to them and build relationships, and eventually a church was born. And at this point, it's, it's one of the strongest churches, and it's reaching out even beyond and into Tanzania. Short-term trips where I've seen success uh, would be an example is, is the next few slides. Um, in, I'm connected to a project in Nairobi of schools that help AIDS orphans. So the, kind of the target is AIDS orphans, and schools have been built. They remain in their homes, come during the day, and uh, are educated. There's a, there's a clinic in the school, but it's only one room and one nurse, and she attends to Oh, wow, it's about 900 kids. But there are teams that can come in and provide health screenings where basically care is given to the children and their families. And um, services, whether it's screening or 
um, acute care, antibiotics, deworming, those kinds of things are services that are provided. Another service that I've seen is um, medical professionals who have a particular skill that can come in. Um, here, uh, someone doing some kind of minor plastic surgery was able to come to um, a facility, uh, one of our clinics, to provide specialty care. And dental care, um, there's a team um, actually kind of spearheaded by Charlie Vidito, who's the missions director here at Southeast. And um, the goal, at first they were coming and treating patients. Um, now they're actually coming and training the folks on the ground, either um, church leaders or, in our case, our clinic workers in dental skills. Uh, vaccination clinics in rural areas, again. <laughs> this is a fun one. A lady from California came and taught salon skills, hell cutting. Uh, these are ladies, uh, mothers of the kids in that school, and they're learning skills to start their own businesses. They're in the microfinance program. Um, they've gone through a whole series of training sessions on business, how to run a business, how to make a business plan, how to save, how to keep books. And uh, this is part of the training where they're learning the skills. This is a cleanup crew. Um, and you notice it's not just all white faces. There's a combination of Kenyans and North Americans working together um, in cleaning the area around the school and the church. This is the school, and a group came in with... Um, soap dispensers and uh, attached soap dispensers to the walls and then uh, did some lessons on hand washing and hygiene. The kids thought this was a great, very joyful day, learning new skills for their life ahead. Okay, before I put down my thoughts. Um, okay, I would like to take the next few questions, next few minutes and let you all again get into your table groups and discuss the question what are, the, what are the factors, what are the principles, uh, key strategy points that will help to make short-term trips sustainable? If we, if we say that a good short-term trip is one that's going to have lasting impact, one that's going to have lasting impact, what are some pieces to that that's going to make it possible? Okay? Three minutes. Go. Okay, I'm going to call time and uh, bring everybody back in. It's very encouraging to me that I hear so much talking, and um, it's, it's a real blessing. What I'm hearing is a lot of people with experience are kind of sharing their experiences, and, and we're learning from each other. It's really cool. So let's just take a couple of minutes and, and share our ideas, either from the stories that I've told you or from your own experiences what are the factors in a short-term mission team that promotes sustainability or lasting impact? I don't want to trip over myself here. Okay. Go ahead. Education in what way? Okay. Okay, she said education and kind of being the, the goal of the trip is providing education. Okay, yes? I would say more skills training. But education, we think, like classroom stuff. Skills training. Okay, so you're, you mentioned um, as part of the strategy being skills training, uh, not just classroom lecture, but sort of a participatory learning style as part of a strategy. Okay, excellent. Yes?
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, what she's hitting on, and I think this is a very good point, is that uh, before you start a project, you want to know, is it going to be sustainable, and are the resources there locally to continue? Her example was the hand-washing thing, and I, I totally agree with you. So somebody came in and put in these soap dispensers where, when they empty, what, yeah, who's going to refill the soap? Is that available locally? If it's something that's very easily accessible, uh, it's cheap, and maybe their hand dispensers just, that's routine. It's culturally appropriate, then great. But if there's no liquid soap in that country, but, there, you know, it's, it's things to consider. Or do you have to then come up with a plan of how do we make our own liquid soap? Is that possibly a new market for sales? Eh, there's all kinds of ideas. From this side of the room, do you have any ideas? Yes. Right. Um, he mentioned community leaders, and I see this is very important in a lot of, in a couple different regards. You mentioned a champion, and that is so true. Somebody who's going to catch the vision and carry it forward. Absolutely. And you, and you want to be very careful who you partner with. Um, from experience, I've done both. We've had some things where we, for whatever reason, chose the wrong leader to work with, and it just flopped. And then. Uh, as in the last story I'm going to tell, God provided a great leader and things are going very, very well. A couple people, yes. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, even defining and being on the same terms with the locals on what sustainability is, because oftentimes that vision of what that looks like is, is either different for both parties or uh, misunderstood or uh, I think just clearly defining what the goals are. Okay. She mentioned shared uh, shared vision, and that the community needs to have the vision. Um, and I would even propose they need to come up with the vision. You know, it's it needs to be stemmed from their felt needs. Um, the goals being defined by the community themselves. Is that am I paraphrasing that right? Okay. And you had, sir. Fantastic. Find out what is already happening and join in. God is already there before you get there. And <laughs> surprise. Um, he's, you know, as much as we like to think we're, we're God's gift to these people that we're coming to, um, he's already there and he's already been working. And so the short-term trips that I've been involved in that are the most successful is when I recognize when the team recognizes what's already happening, what God is already doing, and joining that rather than coming in with our own agenda because uh, I've certainly seen that happen as well. So here's just some of the thoughts that I had to kind of wrap up and go move on into the next topic. The most successful short-term trips that I've been a part in in terms of having long-term impact are those that get plugged into a successful long-term mission. I've been on some teams where we go, we pass pills and pray. Well, that can have some benefit, and, you know, God's going to use all of our efforts despite ourselves. Um, but if we can plug into a long-term activity, you know, like I said, God is already there, God's already working. And if it's a church, which is a local church is ideal, or a, a long-term mission activity, like with the, the vaccine clinic in Kauai. There was already an established group there working who could provide some of the resources. 
us and our clinic systems. There was already a church that had a plan and goal of trying to get into those communities. They needed an open door, a, a foothold. And so I think the success of those short-term trips to provide vaccine clinics was most successful because they came alongside and they plugged in to the long-term mission endeavor. Short-term teams can come in, can, can drop in and then leave and still have long-term impact when they're providing services that the long-term folks or whatever is on the ground, whatever services they can provide, someone can come in and provide those and, and provide, it, it can really grow the long-term efforts. Um, again, the thought of empowering or supplementing what's already ongoing. Find out what's happening, as he said, and join in. But it requires a lot of communication, and it's kind of what you were talking about in terms of everybody being on the same page. You know, rather than I've been on teams where we come in and we had our own agenda, we're going to do this, 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 and we get there, and it's like, oh, that's not the expectation at all, and we all kind of, boo, uh, hit a stumbling block. It can really totally fall apart unless you have a lot of communication and cooperation between the folks that are already there and the folks that are coming in to work together to make it successful and have a long-term impact. Okay. Um, now we're going to move into the next topic of sustainability in mission projects or mission activities. So I'm, I'm shifting the gear from short-term to things that are happening over a period of time and uh, not so much the buildings but the activities, okay? So we'll deal with buildings in a few minutes, but... Uh, a mission project, an activity, what gives it sustainability? And I'd like to tell a story. Um, in 1994 was one of the worst droughts that we had seen in our work area. Um, about a year and a half of no rain. And this is in a culture where if there's no rain, there's no grass. And if, the, if there's no grass, the cows don't eat and then the people don't eat. And at first the, the animals were getting very, very thin, and then the people were getting very, very thin, and then uh, the goats and cow, the cows died, and um, then people started dying. It was, it was very severe. We started seeing a lot more sick folks in the clinics, both because of malnutrition and also because water was so scarce that the animals and people were drinking from the same thing, so diarrheal diseases went skyrocketing, and it was... It was just decimating. I remember going to a village, and the whole village had moved. They had to move because the stench was so severe. There were so many carcasses around the outside fence that it was just unbearable. They moved the whole village. Um, and we were, we were approached to provide help. Um, we gathered together with other mission groups, approached uh, the World Food Program and USAID, who did surveys in the area, and we helped implement those surveys, and they determined, yes, this is a severe drought, severe famine, and they provided food. It was a food-for-work program. That's a whole other story. Uh, they didn't teach me how to do that in med school. And, but we did, we did have food for the people for six months and um, were able to curb the death rate. Um, but after that, people were left without a means of livelihood. And so... What could we do to then rebuild the community? We, we didn't have enough money to replace all the cows, but goats are cheap. And um, so we, we went to the community leaders and said, you know, how can we help? And they said, let's, let's try to get goats for people who have lost everything. So we asked donors for $15 a goat, and uh, we raised over $15,000. And we were able to buy over 700 goats. And there, too, we went to the church leaders and community leaders and said, well, how can we help the most people? Um, you know, do you give everybody one goat? And they said, no, because then they'll just eat it. You, that, that can't sustain a herd. Or do we give 100 goats to a few people? They said, no, we want to help as many as possible. So the church leaders and community leaders came back with the answer, uh, we'll give five goats. Five can sustain a herd. And from that, people can... Um, regret, re, reap the benefit of regaining their, their livelihood. Well, um, and who to give the goats to? So, again, we went to the church leaders like, uh, so who do we give these to? Who really needs them? And we were so proud of them that they came back with a list of people, and none of their names were on it. None of their family names were on it. So it was, it was really cool. But yet there were a couple people on there 
um, one lady in particular um, who had who was married and had a husband who had animals, and we were like, why is her name on there? And they said because she's destitute. Everybody in the family, everybody in the community knows that her husband does not give her access to any of the animals. He he prefers his other wives, and she does not have access, and she essentially has nothing. So they gave her goats. Um, the cool part of the story, this lady uh, was a widow, and she got five goats. And the cool thing was uh, probably about five, six years later, I was at her village, and I was on my way to the clinic, and I saw some kids playing in a little stream, and I just greeted them, went on to the clinic, didn't think much about it. And as I saw patients that day, one of the patients was a man who was just skin and bones. He was totally emaciated. I just assumed, oh, he's got HIV or TB. So I tested him, told him to come back the next day for the news. Well, they were both negative. And as we talked to him, I was kind of scratching my head like, okay, why is this guy like so just totally starved and um, what's going on? So I, I talked a little bit more to the clinic workers. And they said, well, this man, for a variety of reasons, has lost everything. He, he has nothing. He's totally poor. He has no animals. And that's absolutely destitute. No animals at all. And he was married. He has two children. But his wife left him because he couldn't care for them. And so he doesn't have his wife. And he has his two children. And I immediately was thinking, oh, my goodness, where are the children? I mean, if he looks this bad, where are the kids? And, I, and they said, oh, well, do you remember when you were walking in and those kids were playing by the stream? Those were them. They look pretty good. And uh, I said, I don't, I don't get this. He looks so horrible. He's totally starving. Uh, and the kids are fine. What's going on? They said, well, do you remember uh, Noki and you, the lady, uh, the widow, who has been, he, she actually works uh, around that area for them. And she, they said, do you remember in, several years ago with the goat restocking, she got a herd of goats. Well, she's managed it well. She has 40 goats now. And she's keeping her own kids in school. Um, her herd has grown. She's keeping her own kids in school. And she's taking care of his, his kids too. Fantastic development story. Okay. Um, so I'd like to break, have you break up in your groups again and from the stories that I've told or from your own experience, consider what are the key factors, uh, strategies, components that help to make mission projects sustainable? What are the principles that help to make them last long-term and have long-lasting impact? Okay, you got a couple minutes.
Okay, I'm going to call time. And I'm sorry I have to cut you off, but there's still other material to cover. And if you feel like you could talk about this all day, you're right. Uh, there are books written on this subject. There's uh, a lot of debate that's been going on. This is, this is kind of a hot topic, so I'm glad you're getting into it. Thank you so much. Okay, tell me what are some ideas that you've had, either from your discussion or from the stories. What are the key points, principles, strategies for long-term impact in mission projects? flexibility to, to adjust our plans according to what's in front of us. And that is so true. Um, you know, I made a joke about I didn't learn how to do a feeding program in med school. Um, and we actually had team members who came up to us at the point early on in that famine and the feeding program with, um, but I thought you wanted to do real ministry. Because we, weren't, we, had, we, we had to put our teaching and preaching schedule on hold for some of the food program. And so we weren't meeting our six-month goals. I mean, right now it's kind of laughable. But, yeah, and our, our retort was, well, it doesn't really work to preach to somebody if they're starving, if they're dead. Yeah. They can't listen very well. So there are times, um, and believe me, I've gone through enough seasons when, you know, it's just, boo, something is right in front of your face. And, uh, you know, it's obvious that's what God wants you to do. Um, from a personal note, my stepmom died this summer, and my father is now alone, and it's right here. He needs me. I'm an only child, so I'm moving him in with me next week. I'm not going to be going back to the field anytime soon. Um, I hope that God still has a place for me overseas. I, I believe there will be at some point, but it's just obvious my father needs me right now. So that's right here, and it's... it's um, yeah, God and I are talking a lot about it, but it's a it's a <laughs> act of obedience. <laughs> Scared the bejeebers out of me too. Um, give me a case of malaria, not an 82-year-old father to take care of. So, sustainability <laughs> in missions. Okay, what are some uh, flexibility? So true. Other thoughts? Yes. So true. I, I mentioned um, at the very beginning that I wanted to say my take-home message before I got to the end, and that was, yeah, envision the end before you start. Uh, what, what's the end result? What's the impact you want to have with, with God's grace to figure that out and then aim for it? Is that a paraphrase of what you said? Yeah. Yes. Right. A agenda, you know. A needs assessment. Yeah. Who's going to weigh into that? The community. Yeah, the community. Yeah, and not us. And it, it's so true that, and and I have this this um, tendency to come in. I see the needs. Oh, okay. Well, here are the needs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this and this. And when I go in and ask questions, like. Um, at one point, we went into a community. We had a donor that was willing to help AIDS orphans. They wanted to build an orphanage. We kind of knew that probably wasn't the right answer for this particular community. We went in and talked to them. I really expected the answer was going to be, we need to feed these kids. We need to clothe these kids. And the answer over and over and over again, we need help to keep the kids in school. We need education. Can you buy school books? Can you buy school uniforms? It was over and over again, I want help to keep my child in school. I wasn't expecting that answer, but it required flexibility to listen to what they had to say and then work in cooperation. Yeah. So we, we, the program, instead of building an orphanage, was three- or four-year scholarships to pay school fees for certain kids. Anyway, yes? Yeah, just to add to that, uh, needs assessment, not all of it is easy. There is a friend need, 
from the insider's perspective, there is a perceived need from the outsider's perspective. Sometimes, in between the two, you have the actual need. Yes. And that requires that. Um, not always true that uh, the first need is the actual need. That's true. Very uh, good point. Sometimes the perceived need is not <laughs> the actual need. Yeah. So if you're able to have, uh, and sometimes you, know, you need to sit there and find out and discuss and look and observe and interact, then you come up with the actual need. Very and good point. Yes. He made a good point that there are felt needs, what the community may say, the perceived needs, what we observe, or the outsiders observe, and the actual need, which is maybe a foundational issue or one that maybe neither party is actually seeing on the front end. So it requires a lot of working together, cooperation, observation. And this is what the actual need is what needs to be addressed, is what I heard you say. So true. So true. Yeah. Okay. In the interest of time, oh, um, I'm going to move on. So these were some of my thoughts, um, and you've hit on a lot of those. Cultural relevance is so very important. You know, after the, uh, the famine, uh, we could have come up with a lot of ideas to get people on their feet. I'm not sure I would have thought of goats, um, but that's what people came up with, and it was so culturally relevant, and it's been successful. There are numerous stories of people who have been able to um, live successfully because of that program. Ownership, uh, that was talked about too, mentioned. Uh, we've got that up on the board. And feasibility, this is a, a kind of a, a point that I want to make in that it, the, the program has to be feasible. And it's a combination of what's being provided and what's going to be done and a matching of the two. So you've got capable donors and you have to consider the donor, what they're capable of, what resources, what money, what personnel. Because sometimes you have ideas or needs and you, you don't have the resources. You don't have a capable donor. So you have to have the, the capable donor and then the tangible task and getting those lined, lined up and, and connected. Okay. I'm going to have to go through this last one extremely fast. Um, in terms of sustainability and mission facilities, let me just tell my story and then you can, you can think about it and um, consider the, the points. When we first went to Kenya, um, after a year of language study, we moved out to the bush and we were overseeing three clinics. And then there were two others managed by other mission families. When they retired, we inherited those. And all of a sudden, we had five clinics in our lap. And the assumption was that when the missionaries left, the clinics would close uh, because they were totally dependent on that outside funding. Each of the clinics didn't see enough. Um, and even though we charged, the, the, the missionary doctor before me had learned, you know, you get something for free, you don't really value it. So there was a small charge, but that, and it generated some income, but it wasn't enough to keep the clinic doors open. So the assumption was they're, they're going to fold up when the missionaries leave. The goal was a sustainable church, but the medical system was considered something that would have to end. And we just we felt like that was a shame. Um, the clinics there, very, very simple, few room stone buildings, rain tanks for water, uh, solar power for electricity, um, no hospital beds, all outpatient ambulatory care. But they were the only clinic, only medical facilities in the communities in which they serve, so they provide a tremendous service. And we hated to see them just close up and end. We thought that was a shame. So we noticed that of the three clinics we were responsible for, there was one that was a lot busier. So a lot more patients actually generated more income than what they put out in terms of paying the staff and the medicines. And so our thought was, could they support each other? Could we put them together instead of individual clinics, have a, a clinic system? So we did that. We put them together, and um, it, it was working. It was, it was, uh, they were, over a period of years, operating more and more in the black. Uh, there were several key points in terms of the ongoing success. And I just want to say at the outset, um, this was all by God. 
It was all by God. Um, there were so many points where we really didn't know what to do, and we didn't necessarily have the total end in mind as we were, we were kind of feeling our way along. And God used us despite ourselves. And um, so it's his success. It is totally his success. And I just get to share it with you. One of the key, point, key components is, was mentioned having um, key leaders. Uh, we had key, key clinic leaders. We recognized that the clinic staff were community leaders. They were the most educated people in the community, and we wanted them to be champions. So we purposefully chose Christians to be the clinicians and to be Maasai. We had come in where there were other outside tribes, and we noticed that there was a lot of friction there. And so we had to kind of hone in our staff to be those who would consider their job a ministry. And we have supported them um, and trained them. And then by God's grace, one of our, our second furlough, we ended up not having a furlough replacement. The first furlough, we had another missionary doctor come in and take our place. The second one, as, as our furlough was on the horizon, we could see nobody was coming forward. So we were kind of like, whoa, what do we do? Um, so... John, one of our nurses, um, was very bright, and my husband started mentoring him to take over the job of all the bookkeeping and the managing. He did such a fantastic job the year we were gone. When we came back, we said, you just keep doing it. And he's now the administrator of the whole clinic system. And bless his heart, he is moving things far more forward than I ever would have, and uh, God is using this man in a great way. Um, another key component was to, you know, looking, looking at the feasibility. What can help this whole thing continue on and be sustainable? One was uh, thought was to have, and, and they came up with this, the, the Maasai clinicians, a central pharmacy. So we were kind of thinking we don't really want to get into building a big hospital or facility, but we ended up with this central clinic, and from there, staff and medicines and supplies all get fanned out. And... Um, this has become kind of the flagship. Um, this building is really probably no bigger than the fellowship hall down there. But um, from that, the staff carry on the whole AIDS program and um, a lot of the mobile clinics. And this place generates the income that floats the rest of the system. Um, they see the most patients, about 1,000 a month. Um, they have a lab, which is also income generating and um, some other um, activities that generate some income. And uh, they also have a prorated fee system so that those who pay or have outside jobs actually pay a little more. Anyway, um, they, they actually generate income that covers medicine and staff. Part of the program has been supporting the staff and keeping up government uh, standards. We pay at least what the government requires or more and we train them, and they've gotten um, more certificates and training to be reputable uh, within the community. Um, having the appropriate technicians, lab technicians, pharmacy technicians, so that we can provide excellent care. That was one of the factors. Excellence in medicine as a standard, and, the, and that excellence being the platform from which we can speak on other things. Then came along AIDS, and that sort of decimated the budget. And um, at this point, in Kenya, all AIDS patients receive free care. Well, HIV-positive patients are about a third of our patient base. We have 2,000 on our registry that we see every month for ARV care. By law, they get free care. They can come anytime they're sick. It's not just once a month for their checkup and distribu distribution of medicines. They generally come two, three, four times a month. That's 10,000 patient visits that aren't paying anything. And so we quickly, several years ago, went into the red, and it was not sustainable. But by the grace of God, one of the key components has been partnerships. And we've basically broadened our support base. And as people have toured the clinic, uh, been interested in what we're doing, we've opened the doors to partnerships. So the CDC is the funding agency for the AIDS program. Um, there have been other organizations in Kenya. There's been anything from church partnerships to um, Can A Better World Canada came in and built a, this new clinic 
for the Tollett Clinic. There's an English organization that has come in to help with other clinics. So it's, it's building partnerships, recognizing that, okay, in this season that we're in, financially the clinic system is not going to be self-sustaining on their own. But with other groups and other partnerships, they are. Um, the, the mission, CMF provides maybe about 10% of their budget yearly. Okay. I need to wrap up. I'm already over time. But just considering um, you guys have done some great discussion on sustainability. I think you've hit a lot of the, the points there. Um, definitely champions Christian leadership, uh, training of staff, excellence as a platform to speak on other matters, and partnership. That's my contact information. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for your impact and your uh, input today. Thanks.